0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I hope that you are reading through the Bible. We began last September and this week you read through the book of Daniel. This coming week, beginning today, you're going to read through Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Now, folks, I want to give you some good news. It's not a lot of reading this week because these are the beginning of what many people call the Twelve or the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now, what's minor about them is just the length of their books, there's nothing minor about their message, but the length of their books. And so, let me just give you a little, a little brief introduction to them, and then we're going to focus on the second chapter of Joel today. But, but Hosea, his name means salvation. Hosea, Joshua, and Jesus all come from the same Hebrew word meaning salvation or Jehovah or God is our salvation. They're all derived from the same Hebrew word. Hosea prophesied for about 60 years to the northern kingdom of Israel. He was an untrained layman, but God called him to give a message to Israel and that message was that God loves you. No matter how far you've gone away from God, no matter how much sin is in your life, God still loves you. Now, let me pause for a moment and remind you that after David and Solomon reigned, that was the, those were the golden years of Israel. Well, after Solomon, his sons didn't do very well, and the nation divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was annihilated by the Assyrians in 722 BC. The southern kingdom was hit by Babylonians three different times but annihilated or they were carried in captive, they were carried captive in 586 BC. These 12 minor prophets, three of them were prophesying to the northern kingdom before the Assyrians took over. Those three prophets were Hosea, Amos, and Jonah. The other other nine were prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah. And, of course, it fell to Babylon eventually in 586. So Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom. And he is telling them that God still loves them. And, And it's an amazing story as you read how even though Israel had turned their back and committed adultery when it said idolatry, God still loved them. Now, the book of Joel is to the southern kingdom, and we don't know really much about Joel except that he is repeated in second chapter of Acts, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But he was the prophet to the southern kingdom, whereas Hosea spoke about the heart of God, that he loves you, and then Joel speaks about the hand of God. And then the book of Amos, Amos is a prophet again to the northern kingdom. He was from a place called Tekoa, not Tohoka, (laughs) but Tekoa, about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. His name means burden or burden bearer. He, he was a layman, and really, he didn't come from any line of prophets or the prophet's school. He was a herdsman, a, a dresser of sycamore trees. It was a fruit on the sycamore tree similar to a fig that the poorer people ate, and he would open up that fruit and let the insects out of it. He was a country boy, but God used him in the very residence of the king of Israel in the center in Bethel was where he was prophesying and the nation was affluent, the nation was doing good, but it had turned its back on God and Amos was warning them of the coming judgment of God. And God used the Assyrians and God used the Babylonians to bring judgment on the nation and ever since the time, ever since that time, Israel's never followed other gods. They've always followed God, Jehovah God. Now, they haven't recognized Jesus yet as the Messiah. I'm speaking in generalities, but the day day is coming when they will. A prophet was a man who spoke God's message for the day. God would give them a message. They would deliver the message to the people. They were not very popular people. People didn't want to be told what they were doing wrong. People didn't want to be told that they were living out of God's will. People didn't want to hear about the judgment. And they would forth tell, they would speak forth the word of God. Now, when you hear the word prophecy, most of the time, you think of something that's in the future, and a lot of times, the prophet would speak things that were going to happen later. We're going to look at three different days here in a moment of of the future. One of the great evidences to me of the inspiration of the Bible and the truth of the Bible is how much prophecy has already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. You see all of this prophecy spoken in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfills this prophet. It's incredible. And for every one verse of Jesus coming the first time, there's like seven or eight verses about Jesus coming the second time, and we're looking for him. And so the inspiration of the Bible is, is born out from the fact that the prophecies have come true and there's still some that are yet to be fulfilled. The course of history in the Old Testament is looking toward what's called the day of the Lord. Now we know that that day of the Lord is when the second coming of Jesus Christ, but the phrase the day of the Lord occurs in different ways, and in fact the book of Joel, and you can turn there to chapter two, begin reading in verse 28, He uses that phrase, the day of the Lord, five times in these three chapters. It's used in three basic ways. First of all, it's used in the, the fact that when you read the book of Joel, you're going to find out that a locust plague had just hit the country, and he's saying that God used this to get your attention, and that it was used as something that was going on in the present day. And then he widens the scope a little bit and he looks a little further down the road and he said there's coming to come an invasion. Another army's going to come and God's going to use that to judge the nation. Of course, they didn't listen. But, but then he widens the scope even further and he, he jumps all the way across Old Testament history and all the way through the New Testament to the very end. And we're going to talk about that. But uh, what I want, and I, and I, and I found a... a, a an illustration that I wanted them to put up there to kind of let you see in a picture form how this works because Joel is prophesying. He prophesies something that happens in his day and then something in the future, the Assyrians or the Babylonians are going to come to those two nations. He skips over the time that we're in except for the day of Pentecost and the church age that we're living in started on the day of Pentecost and then he goes all the way to the end, to the tribulation, and to the actual second coming of Jesus Even to the Battle of Armageddon. And so we're gonna look at that. And so I wanted you to see how Joel uses that. I'm gonna begin reading in verse 28, and we're going to look at these, what I call three prophetic days, all in these two chapters that mean different times. Verse 28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, and the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. This first day I call a day of manifestation and transformation. Now, don't let those big words scare you. Manifestation means something appeared, something came. Transformation means that their lives were changed. The power of God was poured out. That has already happened. When did it happen? On the day of Pentecost. 40 days after the resurrection, or 50 days after the resurrection. I may be wrong on my days, but the the day of Pentecost came, and... God poured out His Spirit. Was going to pour out His Spirit. In other words, God was going to open the floodgates of heaven and put in the lives of people. His Spirit was going to live in people. It would no longer, you know, in the Old Testament, people were not filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God would come up on somebody to do the job that God wanted them to do, and then it would leave. He would empower them, but on the day of Pentecost, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came, it filled the lives of the believers. Only God can do that. Amen? You see, I can preach till you're tired, and some of you that's already happened, but I could preach and preach and preach, and I can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the church can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the programs of the church and the Bible studies can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus Christ to commit your life to him as the Lord and Savior. Amen. God fills you with his Spirit. I, I got amused at, a, at an evangelist who promised one time. He said, we're going to fill you so full of the Holy Spirit that if a mosquito bites you, he's going to fly away singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> years after Joel prophesied this in verse 28, 800 years later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, the apostle Peter, is preaching, and he quotes this passage right here. You can find it in Acts chapter 2. You can find it beginning in verse 14. When the Holy Spirit came upon these early disciples, they began to speak in other languages. People were hearing the gospel for the first time in their own language, even though the disciples didn't know those languages. They were speaking. And some of the onlookers and the scoffers began to say, well, they're drunk. They're drunk. And Peter stood up and he said, no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They are not drunk. They have been filled with God's Spirit, and he Then uses this passage in Joel and quotes Joel and changes part of the quotation. The only part he changes, where Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterward, Peter says, and in the last days, the last days, this will happen. When did the last days begin? On the day of Pentecost. Now, they've been going on for 2,000 years, but we're still in the last chapter, Now, we don't know when the end's going to come and when God's coming back, but we know that we're in the last days. I'm not setting a date. Nobody knows that date. But the fact is, the last days began from Pentecost to the second coming of Jesus. We're in that chapter. Pentecost marks the start of the final chapter of human history. You cannot understand Joel 2 and Acts chapter 2 unless you understand why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Well, there's several reasons. First of all, Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God never gives his spirit to somebody so that it can be an emotional manifestation of some kind or so that it is some kind of entertainment. He gave us the Holy Spirit, first of all, as the guarantee of our salvation. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that he wants us to live by guiding us and leading us, and he gave us the power to share the gospel with everyone else. Why do you care about anybody that doesn't know Jesus? Why do we care about people who are not here today who don't know Jesus? Why do we even care? Because the Holy Spirit inside of us puts the love of God in us and we're concerned about other people that don't know Jesus since the day of pentecost god's spirit indwells people we were looking in 1st Thessalonians on Wednesday night we're going to begin 2nd Thessalonians this Wednesday night but the very end of 1st Thessalonians talks about us having a body soul and spirit you're three parts. You're created in the image of God doesn't mean you look like God. Doesn't mean you are God. But the triune God, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, man is a is a triune creation. He he is a body, a soul and a spirit. Obviously, we have a body. You can't go anywhere without your body. You have a soul. Your mind, your emotions, your will, your personality. And you have a spirit. The spirit gives you the capacity to know God. And when man sinned, his spirit died. And henceforth, his mind, emotions, and will have gone crazy. Look at the people today without Jesus and look at the direction they're going. They're they're just wandering around in the dark. But when you ask God to forgive you, when you realize that you're separated from God, but he still loves you and he wants you, and when you pray and ask God to forgive you and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is the the mediator between God and man and you place your faith and you trust in Jesus, you commit your life to him, God puts his spirit in you right then. It's the guarantee you've been saved. It's the earnest of our salvation. It is the down payment. He gives us the power to live for him. And he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And did you notice he said, I'm going to pour it out on all the people. What he meant by that is no longer was it going to be for the religious leaders. No longer was it going to be for somebody that God called to set aside for a a specific purpose. He said, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means all of us. The Holy Spirit indwells each of us. Now, there's something in Joel here. I want you to notice. Look at verse 30. And I will show you wonders in the heavens and the earth and blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood and so forth. Did that happen on the day of Pentecost? Uh Uh-uh. And Peter even repeats it. So What does that mean? The first part was fulfilled. His spirit was poured out. But all this other stuff didn't happen. What's that mean? It means it was a partial fulfillment. Now, you can go to, I don't have time to turn there, but when you go to Luke chapter four, you're going to find that Jesus went to his hometown synagogue. And he began to read the scroll in front of everyone, and he began to read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, which say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, period. And, and Jesus Stopped. He put a period there, but he didn't finish reading it all. And, that, and that's when Jesus said, and this day, this is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. But if you go later and look at Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, there's one phrase that Jesus left off. And it says this. This is the scripture, that, excuse me, To to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that's where Jesus stopped. And it goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, we know that one day God's judgment's going to come. But Jesus said, right now, this is fulfilled in your sight. So it's a partial fulfillment. That's what I want you to see, that it's not uncommon for some of it to be fulfilled now and some of it later. And part of what Joel is talking about in verses 30 and following in chapter 2, it's going to happen at the very end because you're going to see it repeated here in a moment. But what I want you to see also is it says, and Peter repeated this, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 13, 10, 13 says for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you remember the day that you called upon the Lord to save you? You had to believe in your heart that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross and God put our sin on him for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that he rose from the dead that he's still alive. We're going to be celebrating Easter in a month. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can call upon him to be saved. God stands ready. God invites you. God calls you. God leads you. God loves you. Amen? Well, the second prediction, the second day he talks about begins in verse one of chapter three. Look at this one. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel." whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as a payment for a harlot, sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head because you have taken my silver and my gold and you've carried into your temples my prized possessions and the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you've sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. They will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people Far off, for the lord has spoken proclaim this among the nations prepare for war wake up the mighty men let all the men of war draw near let them come up beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears let the weak say i am strong assemble and come to you all nations and gather together all around cause your mighty ones to cause your mighty ones to go down there O lord Let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness, The Lord will also roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. It's a day of trepidation and condemnation, a day of fear. In condemnation, punishment will be poured out. Now, who in the world is this talking about? God is predicting a time when judgment is going to come. If you read the book of Revelation, you read the book of Zechariah, you're going to discover the Bible declares or, or predicts there's going to be a final war or battle. in fact, according to chapter 3 verse 1 it'll come to pass when Israel is brought back into their land you know the history of Israel is an amazing one now think about this after AD 70 Rome annihilated Jerusalem and they were not a nation anymore the Romans even renamed the land to Palestine and it was a It was really a mockery against the Jews. It came from the the Philistines. But they renamed, they didn't want anything to be known as Judah or Israel. They weren't a nation again until when? 1948. And I'm so thankful that our country, the United States of America, was the first country to acknowledge that Israel was now a nation. We were the first ones to speak it out. And I'm grateful for that because one of the reasons I think God has shown favor to our nation is for that reason. We've always stood with Israel. But have you noticed that when when the Romans annihilated Jerusalem in, in AD 70 and... From there until 1948, their language was dead. They they had no nation. Now Now, all of a sudden, God has brought them back. Just like he said, he's brought them back from all of these places where they've been scattered and now they're a nation. It also says in the end times that there are gonna be a lot of people that don't like the Jews. That's not gonna happen, is it? Folks, they're surrounded by people that don't like them. All through history, people have tried to annihilate them. Hitler tried to annihilate them. You're not going to annihilate God's chosen people. It's not. You know, you don't see any of the Ike brothers around anymore, do you? What do you mean? Edomites, Hittites. Amalekites, all those, all those folks are gone, aren't they? But the Israelites are still around. That's right. God said they're going to be around. And he's not done with them yet. The church has not replaced Israel. He's not done with them yet because all the prophecies haven't been fulfilled. The Bible predicts the coming world ruler one day called the Antichrist is going to try to annihilate them again. Or again, try to annihilate them. In Zechariah 1 through three, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Verse three, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. In the book of Revelation, chapter 16, Verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. The dragon is the devil. Out of the mouth of the beast, it's the antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the religious leader. There's a uh, a satanic trinity there. And in the the days of tribulation, that's going to happen. Now, Christians, we're going to be gone. We're going to be taken out during the rapture. So you don't have to worry. But during that time, there's going to be all kinds of things. In fact, this Satanic Trinity, these, um, this false prophet, this Antichrist, he's going to be able to have do some, some things. In fact, the scripture says, "For they are the spirits of demons, working miracles, going forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God." Verse 16 calls it in, in revelation, the Battle of Armageddon. All these nations are going to converge on Israel. And that's when the Lord's gonna come. And that is going to be the day of trepidation. When, the, when God is, when Jesus is actually gonna set foot on the earth again, and he's gonna finish it. The nations will be judged, it says. What's interesting is that they think they're gathering together to fight God, and he sort of a, even Jesus talked about this in Matthew 25. He said, I will gather all the nations. The valley of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat means God is judge. It's the valley of judgment. It's the valley that is going to where the the judgment of God is going to fall. In verse 9, he says, bring all your stuff out there and try to fight me. In verse 13, he goes on to say, let the sickle come in. I'm not trying. We're going to end on a positive note, by the way. Okay, stay with me. Don't leave in the middle of this. But I want you to know that we're in a war right now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're in a war. It's not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 tells us, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, Against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Put in the sickle, he says in verse 13, for the harvest is ripe. And then verse 14 says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day's coming. This valley of decision is going to be the the, the day that the judgment of God falls upon the earth. You don't want to be there. I was amused at a something I read. It said a preacher was drawing heavily upon the imagery of this. And he said, thunder will boom, rivers will overflow, flames will shoot down from heaven and earth, and the earth will quake violently, and darkness will fall over the earth. And a little boy in the congregation nudged his dad. And he said, Dad, do you think they'll let school out early? (laughs) I'm sure they will. God's going to take over. The good news is that hasn't happened yet. It's coming. But it hasn't happened yet. Joel predicted that the Spirit would be poured out. That happened on the day of Pentecost. He predicted that the judgment will be poured on the earth. It hasn't happened yet. We see signs that it could happen. But there's a third day that's a day of celebration and jubilation. Look at verse 18. Chapter 3 of Joel. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains will drip with new wine, the hills will flow with milk, all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water, a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of the Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom a desolate wilderness because of the violence against the people of Judah. For they've shed the innocent blood in their land, but Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted for the Lord dwells in Zion. He's moved all the way through the rapture. He's moved all the way through the great tribulation. He's gone all the way past the battle of Armageddon and now he's come to the millennial reign of Jesus. For a thousand years, there's going to be the reign of Jesus on this earth. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, that the Mount of Olives will split and water will flow toward the Mediterranean and flow down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea will no longer be dead. It's going to have life. It it will have fish in it. There will be fruit around it. It will not be, I've been to the Dead Sea several times and it's a pretty desolate area down there. And it's hard to imagine, but listen to what it says. The mountains will drip with new wine, the hills will flow with milk, and the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of the Acacias, which is the valley east of the Jordan that flows all the way down to the Dead Sea. It, it's going to blossom. It's going to be a, a time when the blessings of the Lord on this earth are going to be shown forth in its fruit and in its magnificent beauty. The rivers are going to flow from Judah. You know, Jerusalem's one of the ancient cities. It wasn't built around a river. Rome has its Tiger River. Babylon has its Euphrates. The cities of Egypt had the Nile. Jerusalem did not have a great river. But the day's coming Zechariah 14.8 predicts that living water will flow out of Jerusalem. And did you know, by the way, they've already discovered a vast underwater storage of water under the Mount of Olives. That's just a coincidence, isn't it? When Jesus comes and the Mount of Olives splits and the water's gonna flow like a continental divide, half a, partly toward the east, toward the Mediterranean, or, or to the west, and then, and then down to... The Dead Sea and the rivers of the land are going to be full. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12, says that the water will be flowing out of the house of the Lord. What I want you to see, folks, is that God's still in control, He's got a plan. The plan for him right now, according to 2 Peter, is that he doesn't want anyone to perish. Because you know the amazing thing, that God is a just God and judgment will come against sin, but God is a God of grace and love and he's put all of these things in the way to keep people from facing his judgment. He's given us the word of God, he's given us the church, he's given us praying people, the Holy Spirit. He's he's giving, people have to walk around all these obstacles on the way to judgment one day. Because God's heart is for people to be forgiven and saved. Several realities I want to call your attention to and then I'm finished. One is that we're we're currently in the valley of decision. Everybody on earth is going to make a decision about Jesus Christ. They're either going to reject him or they're going to follow him. They're going to acknowledge who he is, the mediator between God and man, the only living sacrifice, the only one who could die for our sins, or they're going to reject Him. If you've got any friends or family or coworkers, schoolmates, it's time to tell them about Jesus. Because without Jesus, they have no hope. They're going to face God's judgment. We also need to be awake to the signs of the times. Now, I'm not talking about reading into everything that happens all the time. But folks, I wanna tell you something. It's pretty significant yesterday to me, personally, that, I don't know if it happened yesterday, I just heard it yesterday, that the Pope has visited the uh, Islam nations and asked for them to be more tolerant toward Christians, try to bring in peace. Well, one day, there's gonna be a united front against God. But I just think it's interesting because there's been such hatred to to the infidels from at least the radical Islam. He's trying to bring peace. To me, that's a sign that we're moving toward things. I I haven't set a date, and I, 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 I hope he comes in my lifetime. He may not. But time to God is immaterial. He's not bound by time. Time to Him is nothing. What we think is a long time has been nothing. Peter said, a day, a day, of one of your days is like a thousand years to the Lord. Well, if that's true, Jesus has only been gone two days. Well, I'm just saying that. You need to be alert to what's going on. The world, the scripture tells us the world, I can can guarantee you one thing, the world is not going to end by global warming. (laughs) Now, it will be burned up one day, but not because of global warming. See, when you have a biblical worldview, you you read the end, you know how it's going to end. And you can be prepared for it. And you know Jesus, you don't have anything to worry about. Third, reality, there's a spiritual warfare going on around us, and I've already mentioned that to you. You have the Holy Spirit, and you put on the armor of God. Verse, chapter six of Ephesians. Every day, put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. And you also need to realize that the Holy Spirit indwells you. This is the dwelling place of God right now. He indwells you. And it's for everybody. Everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and shall be filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. My question to you is, there's a difference. Are you just religious or are you born again? Because there's a lot of religious people in the world who are anything but happy or anything but living an abundant life. When you know Jesus... The love of God is put in your heart. Amen. You love lost people. Believe it or not, you desire for even those people that you can't stand to come to know Jesus. Can you imagine if everybody in the government in Washington, D.C. gave their life to Jesus? Jesus? You wouldn't hate him anymore, would you? Doesn't matter who you are. If you don't know Christ, you can know him today. Would you bow your heads with me? If you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you've been in church all your life, maybe you're a religious person. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be in church for a long time before you commit your life to Christ. But today, that tug at your heart, that that nudging, that urgency you feel, that's the Holy Spirit telling you you need to be saved. You ask God to forgive you. Why should he forgive you? Because Jesus paid the price of your sin, which was death, He died for you. He was the only one that could because he was sinless. He died for you. And God raised him from the dead, signifying the price had been paid. And when you call upon the name of the Lord today in faith and trust and commitment, you'll be saved today. Heavenly Father, we pray for those today who need Jesus Help them to see that that they're spiritually separated from you. They're spiritually dead. We pray that you draw them to you and that they might receive you and commit their life to you even now. There are many of us in this room who've done that a long time ago. So Lord, we ask you to encourage, strengthen, and guide, and Help us to tell other people. We lift up those right now who don't know Christ. Some of them we can call by name. Some of them who are away from you, please bring them back. We pray for those that need a church. If this is the place, this body of believers, you want them to come. You lead them here. We pray for those that will that have been saved and need to be baptized. Like those that will be baptized in the next service. But Lord, we ask that you work in our hearts now. If you're watching online, you can hit that connect button or you can use that QR code to fill out that information and let us know your decision. I want to know Jesus. And we'll call you on the telephone and talk to you about knowing Jesus. If you're in this room, you can do the same thing. You can use that card and drop it in the box or you can... You can find one of us after we're dismissed. Some of us will be standing up here. We'd love to talk to you about knowing Jesus. So Lord, today, we thank you that you have prepared us. You've warned us. You've given us your spirit to save us. We pray for those that are going to face the judgment one day. We pray that they'll come to know you. And Lord, what a glorious day it will be when you reign on this earth we see a new heaven and a new earth. Help us to share that good news with other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.